Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for human factors, psychology, and design. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is episode 267. We're recording this episode live on December 15th, 2022. This is Human Factors Cast. I'm your host, Nick Rome, and I'm joined today by Mr. Barry Kirby. Hey, great to be here. There you all are in all your pixelated glory. I don't know why you're coming up pixelated on my end. Anyway, we got a great show for you all tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, this interesting intersection between content creation and artificial intelligence. We got a lot to say on the topic, or at least I do. <laughs> we also had answer some questions from the community about tool tracking, tools for tracking multiple research projects, self-education, and tips for those just starting their graduate degrees. But first, got some programming notes here. Uh, I want to let you all know that we have a new deep dive out there in the world on our blog. So you can go check it out now. It's a deep dive into the human factors uh, of fitness technology. And this is written by one of our uh, Human Factors Cast Digital Media Lab members, Morgan. Morgan spent a lot of time and effort uh, researching this. It's uh, We like to think of them as scientific journal articles without the peer review and without the publication. So <laughs> go check them out. I, I don't know. It's a, it's a good, it's a good read and um, gives you a good sense of what's going on in that space, especially since the new year is rolling around and everyone's got those New Year's resolutions to uh, get that fitness technology out of the boxes that they've been in all year. Hey, we do have uh, uh, some updates on stuff. Uh, We are also now uh, Choose the News. That is something that we uh, give to everybody, I guess, if you want to say give. We've traditionally done it on multiple platforms, but now we're kind of consolidating down to one platform. We're just doing it on our Patreon now. However, just because you're not a patron doesn't mean you can't vote in it. All you have to do is go to the post. It's open to everybody. We can see our patrons when they vote and when the general public votes. It's just a way to kind of consolidate down. It's a lot of work for us to look across all of our platforms every week. So go check out our Patreon, uh, whether or not you're a supporter or not, and vote on the the post for next week. You can vote on what you want to hear. Uh, also, just another quick, I feel like I'm rambling here at the top. Anyway. <laughs> show note. <laughs> I want to get to the stuff. Anyway, here's a, a preview of upcoming schedule here. We're on next week. And then after that, we'll do our annual recap episode the week of the 29th. Those are always a lot of fun. Barry and I get all festive and we talk through all the stories that we didn't necessarily cover on the show all throughout the year. And then we are back here on the 5th of January uh, with another show. Barry, what is the latest over at 1202? So at 12.02, we're still listening to Tina Worthy, who's the COO of the Chapter Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. So basically, she gives us a bit of the inside edge about what goes on behind the scenes, uh, producing, uh, basically making the, making the institute run and running volunteers and the staff and how on the surface, everything just looks like everything just calmly happens and nothing is too much trouble. And behind the scenes, they're running around trying to make everything happen, trying to be as helpful as they can to everybody. So really great to get that sort of insight behind the scenes. Excellent. Well, we are going to get into the part of the show that we like to call Human Factors News. That's right. This is the part of the show all about Human Factors News. Barry. We got an exciting one tonight. What is the story this week? Anybody would think that you um, you're a little bit excited about this one, but it's fa- the fact that human creators stand to benefit as AI rewrites the rules of content creation. So the 150 year old Colorado State Fair has sparked controversy 
by awarding its top prize in the digital category to an AI-generated artwork. The decision has raised concerns about the potential of AI to put human artists out of work and the difficulty in evaluating the quality or originality of AI-generated content. Demand for AI-generated content is expected to rise in the coming years, with Gartner predicting that by 2025, generative AI will account for 10% of all data created. However, the rise of generative AI has also sparked debate about its potential to perpetuate existing biases and inequalities and be used for unethical purposes such as spreading disinformation. So Nick, is there any point in us actually turning up anymore? Is an AI version of us just as good? Would anybody even know? I, okay, so I, where, I, I don't even know where to start with this. I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just going to give my initial thoughts here. So yeah. AI is amazing. I've had a peak at infinity over <laughs> the last week. And the claims made are not unsubstantiated. Uh, I'll talk more about it in, the, in a minute. But Barry, what are, what are your initial thoughts here? So I haven't been able to geek out as much as you have this week um, in looking at it. I've had a look at a couple of different things. And we have played with it a little bit in the past. And for me, from what I've seen so far, it's brilliant at generating content. You know, just putting words on the page. And that's something I struggle with a lot. You know, just that that when you're writing a report or you're writing an article or something, just getting words on a page, it's much easier to manipulate it. Um, but to get words on a page to start with is something I find difficult. So it is very good for that. But I can also see where it kind of lacks, I don't know, heart, uh, depth, whatever, you know, them sort of um emotive things, I guess, that we that we put feeling behind things. So when you look at the text, a lot of it is, you know, where it's generated, it's really good at that superficial level. Um, but can it actually generate an argument? Um, and I noticed, and I know when we were doing the show, uh, doing the show notes, you had some ideas about that, or you generated some ideas about that. I did. Um, and, and, and we'll come on to that. But I don't know whether it that, you know, whether the, the argument it generates is, does it have that 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 weight of passion behind it, or is it just a just a collection of words that it brings together? So, as I said, I think it's great for citing things off in a document. I think that it will revolutionise it, and already is revolutionising some of um, of what we're doing. Um, it'll make things happen quicker, and it allows us to do things. Um, the art, the specific art issue, um, I think previously, and in probably. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, I'd have said, actually, it's great. You know, I haven't seen some of the pictures it produces. Art is art, isn't it? It's pictures. It's just, it's it's nice graphics on a wall. However, I've had a slightly different interpretation to it now because my daughter is is doing, uh, has been doing an art course. Um, in fact, both my daughters have been doing lots more art. I don't know where they get this artistic flair from considering both uh, me and my wife are engineers. But they, you know, they, they've got this artistic flair. And when my eldest daughter was coming to do her um, a final project at college, if I'd just gone and seen the final installation of what she did, I would have been, hmm, that's pretty, that's nice, I'll see, see, see what it's about, and um, yeah, okay. But because I knew the story of how she got to that final piece, the thought that went into the different stages and what she did at the different stages, because um, it was all a piece about feminism, but how... Um, and it was all about actually about feminism eat, eating itself. And so, and but the thought and the the processes it, that she got to to get there 
made you think, well, actually, is art at that point more than just the picture? Is it the process? Is it the passion? Is it the is it the artist story that go, that you then know about that went into the picture, which you just don't get with it? You won't get with AI. So AI can create a superficially meaningful and very pretty um, picture. So I can see where people get concerned that you know if you just want to a, a, a picture that looks pretty to go on the wall without any sort of effort behind it, well, it's going to cater to that market, isn't it? If you want something that is possibly a bit more meaningful or you know you want to learn about the the, the artist's anguish as they de- as they developed whatever it was then then can it do that i think it will be able to and that's a scary bit i think eventually it will be able to convince you that there is something there but i'm i'm not sure yeah so okay i don't i don't i i am genuinely my brain is kind of broken right now uh which doesn't <laughs> doesn't happen a lot in terms of like getting my mind blown, I guess yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's far and few instances where I am this broken uh, as like just uh, what is possible here. So let me address that exact process that you've talked about. The AI, you can have it create something. And if it's word-based text-based, you can have it yeah. describe why it made those decisions and what assumptions it was operating off of. And why it got to that point, which is just insane. And then if you, you know, if you think about it, is that art? Somebody put their time and effort into developing this AI. And therefore, this AI is a result of somebody's art. Anyway, my mind is blown because this for for a variety of reasons. One, you uh, uh, there was a expertly crafted blurb that was exactly 200 words. And you chose the AI's version over mine, uh, which is not (laughs) it's. It's I'm that's fine. But here's but the I, thing. I, yeah, go. Here, I, I'm just saying, here's the thing is like mine had a little bit more context around basically, um, you know, what was contained in this article. And I think the the main difference between mine and the other one is that it brought in certain things that I didn't about um, basically predicting what the future holds in terms of how much content generation will be AI in the future. And mine was more sort of focused on the creative process and a little bit more towards um, what that means for creatives going forward. And so uh, those are kind of some of the main differences between the two. But Barry, I'm curious, why did you choose the the one that was not mine? <laughs> so I was going to choose yours, but then I thought, given what we're talking about, I, I chose the the AI version purely to set the scene, really, because I think so, at, at that high level, you know, what 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 it generated was spot on. Like I say, we we generally have a, a specific word count that we that I generally ignore, um, but um, but you could tell that actually it's um, it stuck to it. It's done exactly what we asked it to do, and on the face of it, the 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 blurb it gave you was was perfectly adequate, but the blurb that you gave. That you put together, I think added a more. I think it added more depth. It added more heart to it. So it it, it picked out different things about the fact that, um, you know, it was, um, things like you know, it was a fine art competition with the with the media area. It announced winners. Um, you know, it, it it had a bit more to it. Now, the uh, I guess the argument is there could 
if we'd given it the the, the bigger word spread, because yours wasn't two hundred words. Mine was two hundred uh, words. It it did it more succinctly than mine. Oh right, okay. Oh, fair That's enough. what I'm saying is that I I, <laughs> I picked um, one that was exactly two hundred words. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, the main reason I chose. I mean, I think in hindsight, well. No, I I I stick by why I chose that one. But when we've because um, we might have messed around with this before, and I've never chosen the um, the AI blurb in the past. Um, so no, one of these it, days it, I'm just going to write one, and you're not going to know if it's AI or me. And that's it. I mean, you could easily turn around now and say, "Well, actually, I I I, sw- I swapped the names around. I swapped them. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't know the difference. Um, or I think. I mean, I think at the moment. Maybe I maybe I would, or maybe I'd be like, "Oh, Nick's game game's off tonight." Um, but I think that you know, there unless you're actually looking for it, then I don't think you. I don't think you truly know at this level. You know, at, at writing a um, a pricey of a of an article or something like that because it it hit all it hit all the high points. It added some data in there. It added, you know, it was perfectly usable. Yeah. Um, well, I want to talk to a little bit about my experience over the last week, because I think it's important for people to understand what I mean when I say I'm I'm peering into infinity. This reminds me a lot of when Google was new. Uh, if you can remember that, then <laughs> welcome to the club. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you can remember when Google was new, it was one of those things where you you sat there and you wait, can I can I search this? And then mm-hmm. you search it and. Whoa, that came back. And, and you keep doing that. And this feels a very similar for me <laughs> in the sense that I am making prompts in different ways to try to push the system to do something. Except in this case, it can bring back any number of things and it's conversational. We actually have a story in the hopper for next week. If you all want to hear about it, let us know by voting. But um, it's on the UX of this program that i've been using chat gpt and uh it's a great article on that but but basically i've been playing around with this over the last week and i I need you all to understand where i'm coming from so let me just talk a little bit about some of the things that i've been doing behind the scenes here at the podcast with the help of ai okay so it's no secret that we have a lab here we have a lot of different things in the hopper in the lab and some of the things that we've been working on have been in development for a long time Uh, It's just a matter of time and resources that we have to throw at something. So in terms of podcast ideas, uh, I showed this to Barry before we actually went live. We don't want to release what these are yet just because we're not quite ready there, but had drafted up outlines for these ideas that we've had in the hopper forever. We had AI generate sample scripts based on those outlines, Um, had AI generate a voice to go with those. Uh, It took me about an hour to go from concept to fully produced sample of about three minute long sample um, of an hour long podcast, which is just insanity. And Barry can attest to how they sounded. They're still, you can tell that they're artificial humans uh, yeah. in, in one way or another, whether it's the words that they're using or the, the way in which they dictate the words. But it's really impressive. I did the music on those, by the way, Barry. So, so I, mean, I haven't got that far yet. Just to get in there. But but I mean, the, the thing is that that process itself would have normally to, to that would have taken months uh, or weeks. You know, like I said, we've had some of those things in the hopper for years and we haven't touched them. But because I had this and we had like a rough outline before and had some like key points that I could throw in there, it actually filled out some of those other points. And I'm like, oh, 
yeah, that actually makes it flow together really nicely. Human Factors Minute is another project that we have ongoing, okay? And basically, one of the downfalls of, of AI right now is that it's not smart in the sense that it can't bring back facts that are reliable. It'll, it has a you know large sample, and so it'll bring back kind of the, the middle point of what everyone's saying. And so something is kind of, eh. But if it's on a scientific term, there's maybe not a whole lot of debate about it, <laughs> unless you're talking about the Myers-Briggs. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we are able to pull some of those things in and at least using it as a starting point for a ton of upcoming things rather than it puts us in audit mode rather than sort of the, the hunter gatherer mode of trying to find facts, you know, and I come back, give me a couple citations that we can go chase down. Um, internal documentations, things like white papers, charter agreements, guides, and documentation for our internal processes and procedures that have been sitting on the shelf for months are now written and and drafted. Um, other uses that we've had for around the, the podcast blog posts. So for outlining, formatting, rewording things, search engine optimization, announcements, rewording some of the samey stuff that we put out there every week. Like, Hey, patrons, how about, you know, it's like my mind is finite and I can't think of a million ways to different say things <laughs> differently. Um, thumbnails, you see it in the in the episode uh, in this episode here. I mean, just look at this masterpiece that it brought back. Uh, it's got <laughs> it's got Barry and me right here, uh, according to what the Internet thinks we look like. <laughs> I mean, you can see some resemblance between these two here, but uh I, was, I look like a slightly demented demon know. or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Barry, but anyway, you, you, you get the drift. Is that we're, we really have um, even some of the hashtags that we're using on some of our shorts, uh, just out there. It's really helped with the discoverability. So, like, we've used AI in a lot of different ways over the last week, and have seen success in a lot of it. And it's just insane. It's insanely powerful. And I don't think people quite realize where we're at right now this is truly transformative and will change our society it will change our society and it's like it's anyway mind blown um <laughs> yes and and some computer scientists are like yeah 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 we've, we've known about this from and i have two but it's a it's a different thing when you actually sit down and play with it and you're like oh oh whoa dude it did that thing let me tell you about the most uh, I guess interesting example that I keep bringing up to people. You can feed it information, and it'll put that information in a format that you've uh sort of specified. So what I've done for one of my mentees, I was telling them about this, and I said, "Okay, um, let me just demo this technology." And I said, "Okay, well, is it okay if I use your resume?" And they said, "Yes." And and I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to put in your name, and I'm going to say, uh, write me a cover letter." for their name, who wants to work as a user experience researcher at company. And then using the following information, colon, copy their entire resume, paste it in there after the prompt, and it comes back with a cover letter that is not only accurate, but formatted well and describes their experience well and has all the information right where it needs to be. This thing blew my mind when it did that because you can feed it information and it can modify that information based on existing formats that are out there. So I said, don't use this, but take this as a starting point. <laughs> and I mean, because mm -hmm. then it, it, we can talk about this in a minute, but it introduces a whole other question about ethics and plagiarism and uh, 
just a like who owns this stuff. So I I don't know, Barry, where do you want to go? I've talked a lot about what infinity means to me. I think one of the first things to really hit about why this is such a step change, um, and certainly from an HF perspective, is accessibility. Is because previously AI was sort of the uh, the playground of of the geeks, wasn't it? The, the 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 scientists, the software engineers. If you could do command line prompt stuff, then yeah, you, you were part of the game. Um, but it was really you know it wasn't accessible. Whereas now, the stuff that you know the Chat GD, uh, GPT that uh, that we've been playing with, and some of this other stuff, uh, was it the um, the Div- uh, the Davin? No, it wasn't Davinci, was it? It was um, the Dali. Um, Dali, yeah. Um, uh, AI, and that does some of the pictorial stuff as well. Um, it's now been published in such a way that a it's it's open access, so anybody can use it. Um, except at the moment because they're at capacity. For now. Um, for now. For now. Uh, they'll, um, they'll likely charge for this in the future, just just so that we're clear. We're recording yeah. this in December of 2022, so if you're listening to this in the future, it's possible that they may have started charging for this, which I would easily pay for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, the, but where it's at is, so basically, as you've highlighted with the, with the, um, the letter for the resume, the ability just to say, I want this in this format, using this information it's fairly simple and it actually it was fairly free structured as well because you didn't have to give them any special formatting or anything just chuck the information into a text box effectively and it starts putting stuff out at you but then it goes to the next steps it it thinks about right how do i deliver that information so it's delivered that as a text you could download it as a pdf you could download it in different formats so then you can use that so it's made something that is that was kind of um really unique right really spoke it, it's making it mainstream and because the thought about the accessibility of this now then anybody can go oh in theory anybody can go and use it um even just sort of the deck because i we sort of said in the pre-show i've played around with it a little bit i didn't realize the sort of the really full potential of it um but you could easily see that you know if students are using this for doing their essays if uh, bid managers are right uh, start off writing their proposals for work using this if um you know you're suddenly the letters you write to your your relatives at christmas for those of us who still um i don't but I'm, other people do write letters to relatives and friends at christmas you know you could start churning individual letters out and not write a not write a thing and yet they every everybody might think they've got a nice personalized letter um some of the stuff i mean just the volume of content you could you can get out with this but still have enough information in it that it's not completely just generic wipe um, is is mind-blowing. And the, I guess really the big thing is, uh, as well, is it will be useful. You know, it's not just creating words. It's not just creating, um, you know, filler content. It's creating useful stuff that you can and will use. So that's, that's just, that, that's the, for me the bit that is mind-blowing. Um, but I guess then that does take us down to the, um, to the level of, well, should we hit ethics first? Cause ethics That's, seems to be really popular at the moment. I, I really um, do think so. So I, I think there's, and I can, I can attack this from multiple perspectives. 
<laughs> that I've experienced throughout the week. Okay. I've used this for more than just podcast stuff. And some of that's in my one more thing. So I'm going to hold off on telling the full yeah, details yeah. there, but I've used it to play games as well. Okay. Um, and let's just talk about ethics in general here. Right. So there's uh, some, some things that uh, obviously the plagiarism piece, is it your piece of artwork? If you generate it based off a prompt, well, you are the person who put in that prompt, but it is pulling from a sample of a million different other um, artists, right? And so like, if you say in the style of a specific artist, well, then you're explicitly ripping off that person's art. Uh, style, that art mm -hmm. style. But is but it- But people so, do that anyway. They do. So that's how artists work. That's how, you know, I, that, that's, um, that's, that's people get inspired. I mean, we call it being inspired. <laughs> I'm I'm in the camp that all of this, all of the world's art has been generated by something that they've either seen or done. Yep. And it has been produced by something that that artist has put out into the world. Traditionally, it's been, uh, you know, um, pen and paper or paintbrush and canvas or digital canvas and mouse. And you can see how things have changed over time. And now, now we're getting to a point where the artist is democratizing art in a lot of ways. The artist is the person who puts it into a word prompt and it takes everything that you, every tag that you've put in there and it figures out a way to put it together. And the composition isn't necessarily yours, but the composition of the words that you put into the prompt are... Mm -hmm. Is it yours? I don't know. It's it's this like weird ethical question that we have to, you know, and, and there are things that like I haven't used a single piece that I've generated verbatim since I all those things that I mentioned before. I've not used a single thing. That's not true. I did it in one case and I felt guilty <laughs> about it. I felt yeah. guilty about it because it wasn't mine. I said it. It's not mine. It is it mine? Yours. But it's but it's nobody else's either, because that's right. The, the AI isn't a isn't a living thing, so it can't so it so it can't claim ownership. It can't claim ownership. The it wouldn't have generated what it generated without your input. So, that's true. but like here's but, the thing: yeah. it was it was a very low stakes thing. Uh, it's not like. You know, there were any serious ramifications. It's not like this is a work report. It wasn't something that we put out there publicly for the podcast. It was a response to somebody. It was a yeah, response yeah. to somebody for like something totally trivial. And I was like, I'm going to try. I'm going to respond to a friend who just said, I'm not going to detail the, the contents of that, <laughs> but it was so trivial. It was so yeah. trivial. Like there were times this week where, where, somebody reached out to me about a real like really personal struggle and i i thought about using it and i was like no i can't do that i can't do that i don't have the words to tell this person what's go like how how i feel right now because it's, it's a tough situation but i'm not going to use this because if i did i would feel really bad but it could you if you as you described that situation if you didn't have the words to be able to help would it have actually helped you generate the words that you needed in order to inspire what it was that you 
Oh, there you go. But wow. would I feel guilty about using those, right, as as inspiration? And so, there's... so why would you feel guilty? I do. I can see where, exactly where you're coming from, but what, can you articulate why you would feel guilty? I can't. I can't because it's not mine. I didn't. To, I wasn't the one that came up with it. So go to Chat GPT now and ask it for an explanation about why you why you feel guilty about using AI in personal conversations, and see what it see if it inspires you to an answer. <laughs> live demo, live demonstration. <laughs> Explain why I feel guilty about using AI responses uh, in my personal relationships or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I will put that in and we can go from that. But, but basically that's one angle of the whole ethical thing. I will say there was another thing that made me feel dirty, Uh, like uh, (laughs) about, about using. So, I, I mentioned I use it to play games. Right. And in some ways, it's it, it'll come back and say, I'm not built for this. Why are you making me do this? In in so many words. And I go, no, 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 no. Just, just pretend that you were built to do that. So, okay. From now on, I'll pretend like I'm doing that. And so it felt in some ways like I was bullying this AI into doing something that it wasn't built for. Yeah. Even though other people have been trying to to push it and and, uh, you know ultimately i came down on like okay i can't feel bad about this i'm pushing a piece of software to to test its limits but the fact that i kept putting in prompts and it came back with i'm not built for that i'm sorry i'm really sorry i can't do that i can't do that i can't do that uh it wasn't like i can't let you do that dave but it was very much (laughs) like i'm literally not built to play dungeons and dragons you idiot uh Stop making me trying to play a dungeon master here. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, uh, with respect to to um, feeling guilty here, it is natural to feel a sense of guilt when using AI responses in personal relationships because when it can be seen, uh, because it can be seen as a form of deception. When using AI responses, you are essentially pretending that the responses are coming from you rather than a machine. This can lead to a sense of dishonesty and lack of authenticity in your interactions with others. Additionally, using AI responses may prevent you from fully expressing yourself and connecting with others on a deeper level, which can also contribute to feelings of guilt. Ultimately, it's important to consider the potential consequences of using AI responses in your personal relationships and to weigh the pros and cons before deciding whether to use them. That's it. That's right there. That's exactly what I feel. Yeah. Bang. There you go. <sighs> what the hell? So oh does that God. does that make it self-aware then? Because <laughs> it recognizes the No, issue. it's 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 a it's a it's a AI, it's an artificial intelligence software built on a, a sample of a you know a bunch of words. That's that's what it is. And these words are a mix of other people's words. Yes, but it's aware of the impact it's it's having. That's that's awareness. No, the people who wrote the original <laughs> words are aware, and it that's is making true. inferences based on those words. So okay, so let's that that's sort of like taking us down that that route now, hasn't it? Quite strongly of, sort of that ethical that ethical element. Well, I'm curious on your. I, I I we got my opinion. What are your opinions on it? Because like I've been living the experience. I'm curious, like from a 
objective so relatively. I was also thinking about so if I was to be doing a an essay for a um for for education. So I would say I was submitting a an, an essay. Um now obviously plagiarism in of itself and the way that they detect plagiarism is particularly now you upload your stuff and they've got scanners that can pick out um bits of words and all that sort of stuff. So if you if you're directly copying, then um, then that's plagiarism. Fine. But if you've used an AI to generate it, to generate the text, and then uh, so there, there's two levels here. One is that you, you know um, you've given the input, you've you, you've told the AI what what it is that you want to write about and the facts in there. It then generates the the nice prose in the scientific format or maybe the the English language format or whatever it is that you're you're designing for. At that point, is that plagiarism? Is that bad? Because it's still your going back to what we said earlier, it's still your input. No, you're not copying anybody else, but you haven't written it all. So that's it's not necessarily plagiarism, but it's not necessarily your work either. Um, so then you go to that next step of right, well, okay, if I use that as a as generating a, a skeleton, I then put some, you know, twist it around to make my own, to make it my own. How much of it do you need to rewrite for it to be truly your own away from the AI? So that's kind of one bit around that that education piece. The other half of that is what well, it's around around work, around the day job. Um, if I'm writing a report for a client, can I just chuck, you know, I mean I wouldn't, you couldn't necessarily write the entire report that way. But if I wanted to write a two page executive summary, chuck the rest of the report in that, in, into that and say, write me an executive summary that's witty and engaging or whatever comes back two page, two page exec sum. I mean, the amount of time that this could save you if it was used right, then that's, that's, then that's good. But then is it, I guess, look at the ethical part of it. Is that the right thing to do for my clients? If they're expecting me to have developed a, um, well, it wouldn't be me, it would be my wife because I, I don't write as well. Um, but would it be would they expect a handcrafted executive summary or would, you know, is it legitimate? Does it from- matter? Does it matter? Yeah, it's like, yeah. I think there's a, a lot of nuance about when and why to use these things, these AI content generations, and when it's ethical to do so. Uh, like in the case where you say, yes, I'm going to chuck a whole report in there and just see what it comes back in terms of a summary. Mm. You've done the work. It's just writing it up in a way that like is going to be, uh, uh, you know, taking out the important bits. And what about the flip side of that? I write a quick, quick two page executive summary and say, give me, give me a 50 page report. Go. And if, if you could do, oh, I'm 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 tempted now. Okay, there's a whole uh, there's a whole lot of temptation now, of of testing this thing. So, um, so just just in case anyone wants to do that, the the way you do it is you build an outline first. You say, okay, here's uh here, here's my my, my abstract. <laughs> build an outline based on this abstract, and then you have it build out each piece individually. Just because there's like character limits right now, although in the future, who knows? You might be able to just mm-hmm. write me a whole report. Um. I've actually had it write, write me multiple children's songs and children's books. Uh, like I, um, I, this is, this is weird. And I feel dirty about this right now. Like I am going to ask it to write me 
uh, a a children's song about um, human factors in the style of Dr. Seuss. Uh, a children's That's... song about human factors in the style of Dr. Seuss. Have one on our Discord. You can go see it, but it's going to come come back with something completely different here. Um, and it's just uh, okay. So here we go. Oh, the things we do as humans with our bodies, minds, and hearts. We use our skills and senses to make our world a work of art. But sometimes we make mistakes and things don't go as planned, and that's when we need to think about human factors at hand. Wow. Human factors are important for every task and job. They help us understand how we can make things better. Yob. So it's like let's, robot. So let's think about our actions and how they affect the ones we love with human factors in mind. We can make the world a better place, my dove. Okay. Some of them are hits and some of them are misses. I would have replaced a dove so with my love. On the page for chat GPT now because I'm at the capacity page, it's got the, the, the prompt is write a stand-up comedy routine about the status of chat GPT. So you now need to do write a stand-up comedy routine about human factors. This is going to be, this is going to be genius. Okay. All right. All right. In fact, is this just going to be okay. the rest of the podcast now? I, just I like, hope not. We have some really important points to get to Barry. Let's, let's get to the important points here. I'm going to do this and then we'll move on. Okay. Here. And we'll move on. Okay. All right. Thank you for having me tonight here. So uh, have you ever noticed how weird humans are as a species? I mean, we do some pretty strange things, right? For example, have you ever seen someone put milk in their cereal bowl before cereal? It's like, hey, I want to make sure my eggs get soggy before I even start eating. And it, don't even get me started on our love of putting things in alphabetical order. Like who decided that A should come before B? And don't even get me started on the, the silent E and in the English language, it's like, hey, let's make the le this letter do absolutely nothing and just add an extra syllable to words for no reason. <laughs> but the real kicker, the real kicker is how obsessed we are with time. We have all these different ways to measure it. And we're constantly checking our watches and phones to make sure we're not running late. And then when we do inevitably run late, we get all flustered and stressed out. It's like, relax. It's just time. It's not going anywhere. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So I think it was I think it was doing it on humans and not human yes, factors. So so uh, this is when I would come in and modify the prompt to you know have quotes around human factors and add psychology uh, at the end of it, and it would it would come back with something much better. I'll just read the first little bit of okay. this prompt. Hey everyone, have you ever noticed how human we as humans tend to make the same mistakes over and over again? It's like we just can't help ourselves. <laughs> More accurate. Uh, so, I guess there is. Um, how do we account for this then? So, in in terms of being able to, we generate this content, and we've already sort of touched upon the fact that we there is an element of um, whether it's plagiarism or not. Out, still out, jury's out. But there is a, a level there that we maybe we maybe feel a certain amount of guilt that we're not doing all of the hard graft. Um, but is this just the next stage of, so, you know, when we, when we first got word, got word processes instead of typewriters, when we, uh, when we've got typewriters rather than the pencil and the pen, you know, we, 
you know, the when when we type when we typesetting on a word processor now, you know, we're not doing what the what the task was then. So is this right. just the fundamentally the facts are we are still generating the facts we are still generating the the niche bit of content that this is based around and this is just flower arranging this is just the the, the stuff around it um so is that necessarily a bad thing um that's something i think we need to uh we we need to bottom out as a society and it's possibly just goes into this big melting pot of um of the the impact of ai but it's, yeah. I guess the um, there's some there's some elements here about um, what is it. So the, what I've got in the back of my mind is one one of the things I saw last week um, on uh, one of the social media platforms that was promoting an AI writing generator, and it said you know, it give you this blurb that had clearly been written by the AI. And so many people are then underneath it going, oh, well, I, you know, if, paraphrasing, but I've read this. Uh, this is now going to be the death knell in for people writing original content. Nobody's ever going to comment on it. Nobody's ever going to use it. This is, this is written. I was like, but you're now commenting and generating content on the back of clearly some AI written, written interfaces. So, it doesn't do that. And as we've already proven, you don't necessarily now know when you're commenting on AI based uh, based things. So does it matter? Does it matter? And what are the what are the impacts here? What what is the what is the true human impact of you taking in content that's written by, by AI? Isn't isn't is it is it harmless? Is there is there any harmful aspect to this at all? Yes. There is, if you use it for malicious purposes, right? I mean, I can imagine you use this for uh, propaganda, uh, fake or misleading news articles, videos, images, deep fakes, uh, misleading social media posts, comments, other type of content that would send people down the wrong direction. Um, and then that introduces, by the way, a whole other set of things that we haven't even discussed is sort of the training piece behind this. And that's kind mm -hmm. of where I want to jump in next. Because this, to me, is the equivalent of handing kids in the 1980s and late 70s calculators. It says, okay, well, here you go. You know, mm -hmm. it's a it's a new tool. And and some educators that I follow in the space say, I know my students are going to write essays with this, and I'm fine with it because what I can do is I can turn around, I can feed those back into an <laughs> feed those back into the algorithm and criticize them using the algorithm, the AI. <laughs> And then grade them on a rubric that I feed into it. And so basically it's a pissing match between who can use it better. And that's ultimately what the argument that I've been seeing is from educators is that this is a tool that's here to stay. We need to teach these kids how to use this in an effective mm -hmm. way because it's going to be like, how do you use a calculator versus doing things on pen and paper? It doesn't matter. Nobody does things pen and paper anymore. And if you do, then it's for, a, you know, because you don't have a calculator nearby, but everyone has a device in their little pockets that can do it now. And so I think teaching people how to use this is that whole training and education piece. There's this whole, um, there's this whole piece about, and then there's going to be, uh, th th there's going to be ways in which you can detect whether or not something is AI. Um, it's going to be harder to detect, but you need to be able to understand that type of thing. And that's where some of the 
misinformation or uh, nefarious purposes come in, I think that's when we really get ourselves into trouble is when we can't detect it. Um, and just not to spend a whole lot of time on this, there are technologies being built in the back end to detect AI written things using watermarks that are undetectable to humans, but are built into the way that the AI writes. And so if you feed it through, you know, an algorithm, a teacher would be able to see that, oh, yes, this was fed through an AI algorithm. They don't exist now, but, but they do, are being worked on. <laughs> but do we think that then, you know, the use of this, I mean, you use that exam, example of the calculators, which I think is is absolutely spot on. Because really, the only reason we write essays, we write articles, we, we write this sort of stuff, is to prove that we have ingested the knowledge and can regurgitate it. Or that we can go and research it and we can do that. Doesn't this just mean then we need or we need to find better ways of being able to to assess people's knowledge that yeah. maybe isn't just now based on the written word? Bring on the brain HCI. Um, exactly. You know, it it, it means we everybody's going to have to do a step change. We can't be as it, lazy is the wrong word because um, it's convenient to to be able to get people to write stuff down. Um, now this has been a sort of a, an interest of mine for years because as we've been a home educating family and we've been taking some different models or different approaches to reading and writing. Now, when you go to Germany's school in the UK, by the time you get there, by the time you get there at sort of five, six, they try and push you really hard to be able to read and write because it makes assessing where, what their education level is so much easier. But in some Scandinavian countries, they don't teach you to read and write until you're like nine, 10, 11. Um, and they focus on play-based things or non, you know, non, um, I guess, non-academic type, uh, type approaches. And so what this is going to push is a different way of educating, um, and a different way of assessing how we do the, do the education because we've all got the same tools, um, among us. So yeah, that's going to be, um, yeah, game changer. It is. It really is. And it's not as simple as like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to need you all to write a prompt to generate this. And you can't even judge people on their prompts because people can write, you know, whatever they want in, in their, uh, in their own language that says, generate me a prompt that would get me this. And (laughs) they get the prompt from a prompt. It's just, I look, Barry, I, I hate, I genuinely hate to do this. We only have a couple minutes left of the show. Like we have talked so much about this. We have 12 minutes. Uh, I know. Uh, I'll tell you what, listeners, if you want to continue this conversation, like I said, there is a story that you can select for next week. It's on chat GPT. If this one gets enough votes for next week, we'll continue the discussion because there are still a whole lot of things that we have to discuss around this. Um, like just, just throwing a couple of these out there while we're talking about the creative content stuff, like this could help generate content for personalized medical healthcare information. Um, this could like think about like health routines. I've had it generate me a health routine and said, no, I don't like doing that. I went to the store the other day and said, you know, a family of three, low budget, uh, easy to cook food options. And it came back with a list of food options. And I said, okay, now get me the easiest recipes that you can find for these, you know, with the least amount of ingredients. Okay. Do that for everything. Okay. Now come back with a list of all the things that I need based on this. And it did. And it's just like, those are the ways in which it will change your lives that you don't even realize yet. Personalized virtual environments. Okay. You're playing a VR game. Anything that you want 
is in front of you because you gave it a prompt. Uh, advertisements, marketing materials. Um, when it comes to the art piece, this does have an opportunity to put people out of jobs if you do it if you do it the traditional way. But I think we're going to be forced to react as a society and and make use of these tools when digital uh, art came around. It's not like people stopped doing things on pen and paper, on paintbrush and canvas. They didn't stop doing those things. It's just a new art form. And I think the same thing will happen here. I don't think people will stop doing digital art. I think this will just be a new type of art form. It won't necessarily put people out of jobs. It may just force people to use it to get an advantage. So that's that's where I'm at. Barry, last words on this, because again, we got to keep pushing. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, we've kind of gone, kind of forgotten the art element of the of the entire story, which is what the story, I mean, is this just the equivalent of the camera over the, um, of the sketch or the, or the painting? Um, the, the advent of the camera um, taking pictures of scenes hasn't knocked out people wanting to do oil paintings, watercolors, um, different types of sketches and things like that. So I think it is, um, it is an element here of, it is an evolution. Um, and, um, but it's going to be really interesting to see where it takes us. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you to our patrons this week for selecting our topic. And thank you to our friends over at MIT Tech Review for our news story this week. If you want to follow along, we do post the links to all the original articles and our weekly roundups in our blog. You can also join us on our Discord, where we're definitely having more discussion about this. Uh, I've been posting stuff in there all week. Um, we're going we're gonna to take a quick break. And just a reminder, everyone, if you want to hear part two of this discussion, go vote. And I'll put that link in the show notes so that way you can find it. I don't typically do that, but I feel like we just had so much more to say about this. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to see what's going on in the Human Factors community right after this. Human Factors Cast brings you the best in Human Factors news, interviews, conference coverage, and overall fun conversations into each and every episode we produce. But we can't do it without you. The Human Factors Cast Network is 100% listener supported. All the funds that go into running the show come from our listeners. Our patrons are our priority, and we want to ensure we're giving back to you for supporting us. Pledges start at just $1 per month and include rewards like access to our weekly Q&As with the hosts, personalized professional reviews, and Human Factors Minute, a Patreon-only weekly podcast where the hosts break down unique, obscure, and interesting Human Factors topics in just one minute. Patreon rewards are always evolving, so stop by patreon.com slash humanfactorscast to see what support level may be right for you. Thank you, and remember, it depends. I want to give a huge thank you to our patrons for all their continued support. Without you, our podcast truly wouldn't be possible. We especially want to thank our honorary Human Factors cast staff member, Michelle Tripp. Supporters at this tier means the world to us, and we're so grateful to have you for everything that we do. Seriously, thank you to all of our patrons for being a part of our community uh, and helping us continue to produce high-ish quality content, hopefully. <laughs> uh, we, we really do appreciate each and every one of you and are really, really just ultimately grateful for your support and especially this time of year um it really does help uh just so you're all aware of what patreon does for us uh and what it does help with is patreon helps cover our monthly hosting fees so that you know helps us keep 
uh, uh, host our podcast episodes. Without it, we we would there'd be no podcast. Uh, it wouldn't be available to you all. Uh, Patreon helps us cover our annual website, domain, and capability fees. So our website, by the way, is our hub for all things uh, that are related to our podcast and our lab at this point, and allows our listeners to actually easily access any of our episodes and learn more about anything that we've talked about. So uh, we also have uh, programs, automation behind the scenes. Um, some of it's not cheap. <laughs> uh, things like automation for social media posts. So that way I don't have to sit there and post every single time uh, and manage our podcast. We do that too through those. Um, products and services for audio video production. That's pretty key. Uh, and finally, it helps us pay for a capability to distribute our podcast via this, what you're watching on right now, uh, Restream. It helps us make sure we reach as many people as we possibly can because we are dedicated to science communication. Uh, in short, uh, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here behind the scenes and all that support really does matter. So, all right, this this episode is already long, so let's get into the next part, next part of the show we like to call... It came from... It came from... All right. Yes, it came from. This is where we search all over the internet to bring you topics the community is talking about. If you find these answers useful or helpful, wherever you're watching, listening, give us a like to help other people find this type of stuff. Uh, we have a rare Discord um, one tonight from Margot. So this one is tools for tracking multiple projects. So uh, Margot writes, uh, UX research project managers, what software tools have you found most helpful for tracking multiple projects? I've PM'd single projects before, but I'm going to need uh, to be able to track activities for multiple projects, and I'm hoping to find a cleaner and uh, collaborative solution. Any advice, recommendations would be much appreciated. Barry, what uh, what what do you use to manage multiple projects? So now I've I've gone through a bit of a step change. We we've used tried different platforms in the past, but Microsoft. So we generally use use as our um, you know main platform of choices now is Microsoft with three six five with Word and all that sort of stuff. Microsoft Planner and To Do have now just upped their game within Microsoft, and it allows you within that whole ecosystem to um, manage your tasks, be able to assign them very cleanly, um, and uses so Planner uses a very good Kanban uh, type approach, so it's very bought into the agile thing. Um, so I thoroughly recommend that at the moment. It's very much high on my list and I'm quite excited about it. That's cool. I'm going to say it, it, here's controversial opinion time. It doesn't matter what tool you use. Um, <laughs> I use Jira. I use Jira. Um, but I mean, ultimately when you're, when you're thinking about it, the tool isn't as important as the schema that you set for yourself. Uh, as most tools have most of the capabilities that you need, um, you know, just from a basic level, some of them have bells and whistles and that's nice. Jira has a lot of bells and whistles, which I do like, but I could do the same thing in, you know, we do the same thing in free software for the lab. Um, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter which tool. What I would recommend is use what your product team uses for software dev, if you can, if you're working on software uh, or what the rest of your team uses, because then you, it, it's less of a translation piece and you can kind of use it to show them what you're working on. Uh, and there's less kind of confusion around it. All right. Next one here. UX research self-education. This is by, no, this is not time. Or no, not this time on, on UX research subreddit. <laughs> they write, I've learned a lot in my role, but it's limited in scope. It's more managerial. And I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of the key work of a UX researcher. I have some free time, so I'm 
aiming to use it productively by learning new skills that would be useful to my work. What are some great online resources or courses to new UX researchers, human factors practitioners? Barry. Um, online stuff. There is just stuff online that be that YouTube or whatever. Um, or go and do a, um, um, you know, a quick course or a, a weekend thing. I would sort of say, yes, if you want to do um, UX stuff, then that's fine. But actually, if you're, do, if, you're being, if you're doing more managerial stuff, learn more around that. Uh, unless you've got a, a UX role that you're, going, you're wanting to jump into, then is there stuff, um, what's, your, what's really your motivation for going, for going down that? But fundamentally, it's all online. Go for it. Yeah, have you heard of Google? Well, yeah, there is a bit of that. Um, <laughs> oh man, uh, great, great, we know of a good couple of podcasts. Yeah, I was, <laughs> and, and there's a lab. I've heard of a lab. There's a, there's a lab somewhere. I was just going to say there there are tons online. Take a course. Um, try to get your company to comp it if you if you do. Uh, that's that's a good strategy. Read a book. Listen to podcasts. I mean, you can find a bunch of resources online. I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> it's one of those ones where it's like Google. Or, or I guess now, Chat GPT. You could, you could throw it in there. Give me ten ways in which I can <laughs> just learn how to write the prompt. All right, uh, the next one here from Confused Laddie on the UX Research subreddit. Uh, any tips for someone who just started their masters in HCI? They write, "Hi all, I just started my masters. I really want to be well prepared for after I graduate in terms of getting a job and starting my career. Any tips for what I should be focusing on um, during my time in grad school?" Yeah, go study. That's it. Doing. That's it. <laughs> to be honest, pretty, I think in the grand scheme of things, if you're going to do your masters, um, for certainly for your, I guess your, for your first term or so, go study, get yourself, get yourself really into it, work out what you're doing, but then go and, you know, get get on LinkedIn, get your um, contact network grown, um, and and start again. You know, we've got a lab. Go and jump in the lab and introduce yourself and make them networks, make them connections, um, and. And just be, just really dive into it. So, you know, you're going to get examples about um, things that you can develop develop your portfolio with. Do that times ten, um, and just just dive into it. Were you reading my bullet points there, Barry? I said, I said, go for it. The only thing you didn't mention, go for an internship. Uh, I think I learned more in my internship applying the things that I learned in class than I actually learned in class. Um, like you know, book smart versus application, mm-hmm. street smart, whatever you want to call it. Uh, get involved in labs if you have them on campus and can do some extra work and have that extra bandwidth, do that. Uh, build your portfolio and resume um, because when you get out into the workforce, you're going to need those and find your gaps in those too. And then go to conferences, make connections. I think conferences are a big one. There's a lot of conferences out there that have like career centers on site that you can get that experience with uh, interviewing there and that's and making those connections and saying, hey, I'm about to graduate soon. Do you have any work for me? It's a good way. Okay, let's get into one more thing. Uh, I realize we're at time, Barry, so let's just take our time with this one. It's okay. I, we don't really have a 60-minute limit, so what's your one more thing this week? <laughs> so my one more thing, I've been delivering lectures to students this week, which has been quite interesting. So the same course, but three different cohorts of students um, throughout the week, and it's been really interesting because I've, sort of start, I've, I've started messing around with these and sort of get, getting their reflections on what do they think human because they're doing human factors in in aircraft maintenance 
So I was just sort of posing the question to them, what do you think human factors is? And the broad range of answers we've been getting back from like these second year students has been really interesting. It just proves just what how big a problem we've got in the fact that we can't actually truly define it. Um, and that's been that was inspired by a conversation a conversation I had the other week with Stephen Shorrock. And I think it proves that we've got a lot of work to do and he's he's kind of messing with my mind a bit. So that's my weekend task is to try and it's it's more about where, you know, big because we fall into that thing of human factors is everything to everybody, therefore it's nothing to every, nothing to no one. Um, it's it's so broad we can't scope it. Um, and it's back to that question: What is human factors? Oh, so it's just been that's timeless. my that's my mind blown for the weekend. Yep. Timeless. What about yours? What, what's what's your one more thing? So okay, my one more thing is actually going to tie in heavily to what we discussed on the show tonight, and it is about Chad GPT uh, and. I, I alluded to it several times throughout our chat tonight, but I've managed to break it in several different ways. And and one of those or people, I should say, uh, th- that I've used their prompts to do and modified in various ways. So one of the things that people have been doing with it is kind of role play. And what I mean, what I mean by that is Dungeons and Dragons. I basically <laughs> said, play Dungeons and Dragons, fifth, edi- fifth edition in the Star Wars universe. OK, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and and it's like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm a I'm a model trained in AI. Right. OK, so it does that. And then you say, OK, OK, but just pretend like you're the dungeon master. OK, and here's the rules. And um, this is me. I am a smuggler. And and then and then it does it. It does the thing. And it's just insane to see it do this thing that you've told it to role play as. And it actually does the thing. I sat there for three hours playing Dungeons and Dragons in a Star Wars universe. Backstories flavor text it's just incredible like i i asked it to say okay uh pause pause i like these characters from other games and other media um make a mix of their personality and assign it to this person okay unpause and then they do it and then their actions and everything in the game are based on those personality traits and i'm just like oh my goodness uh it is just anyway if you want to hear more about AI and stuff, to, stick around for the post show. If you're if you're listening to this later, go listen to the post show somewhere else because we're going to talk a bunch more about AI. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be it for everyone. If you like this episode and enjoy some of the discussion around AI, I'll encourage you all to go listen to episode 263. We actually break down what it might actually be like to talk to your dead relatives about uh, through the use of AI. Um, Comment wherever you're listening with what you think of the story this week. For more in-depth discussion, you can join our Discord community. Uh, like I said, I've been popping off over there with a bunch of stuff. Visit our official website. Sign up for our newsletter. Stay up to date with all the latest Human Factors news. You like what you hear. You want to support the show. There's a couple ways that you can do that. One, you could leave us a five-star review. You could do that wherever you're watching or listening right now. Uh, and that is free for you to do. Two, you can tell your friends all about us. We really appreciate that word of mouth helps us grow and three if you have the financial means to consider supporting us on patreon we're always giving back over there uh through the form of human factors minute as well as some of the other fun exclusive things we got going on uh and they have a bigger sway in our news uh, as always links to all of our socials and our website are in the description of this episode mr barry kirby thank you for being on the show today where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about that god-awful image of what the ai thought you looked like you can uh, talk about AI really bad image oh, it's terrible um, on Twitter and other social networks at Baz underscore K or you can come listen to some of the interviews I've been doing um, to human factors p- uh, practitioners in our domain at 1202 the human factors podcast which is 1202podcast.com 
As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me on our Discord, uh, geeking out about this AI, uh, and across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Until next time, it, it depends. depends. Spacecraft, railway locomotives, nuclear submarines, healthcare, jet aircraft, these are all examples of highly technical systems and organisations, and all have one particular thing in common. They all involve humans. Humans who want to do amazing things and are using technology to achieve them. They all have something else in common. They have amazing people ensuring that the users who are involved can do what they need to do, are safe when they do so, and have the optimum user experience. These people are Human Factors practitioners, and on 1202, the Human Factors podcast, they talk to me, Barry Kirby, about what they do, sharing their career paths, highlighting their ideas and best practices, and fundamentally raising awareness of our discipline. Find us on 1202podcast.com, on social media, and on your favourite podcast directory, because it's more than just common sense.